Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. And you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there, raises up the visibility. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find that top quality podcast content, you can find us, subscribe, and again, share with your friends and or loved ones. We'd also like to remind you that our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of a premium membership and 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. All you got to do is go to Podient, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, Sign up using the offer code LONGHORN to get 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by my good friend, a man who has uh, officially declared that he is foregoing a Major League Baseball career, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I am uh, I'm fantastic. I'm coming in and unexpectedly uh, stealing all of your awards as though my name is... Not just Casey is a nickname, but Casey Musgroves. I am uh, I'm doing fantastic, man. Shout out to the listeners. Just a quick reminder: this will drop on Tuesday. Male or female listeners, just uh, remember Valentine's Day is this week. If we saved your relationship, you're welcome. Don't forget. My wife and I had the conversation about: are we are we doing something for Valentine's Day this year? And we're like, ah, well, we could do it. We could do like a Saturday night situation if we wanted to. We could get a sitter. Yeah. But I just. You know, we're at that point where a, a good date night for us is like we put the kid down and we just zoom, zone out because that's what you need when you have a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, man. Kids. <laughs> I love it. No, he's great. Uh, so today we're going to jump in and uh, we're going to talk a little men's basketball. Texas had a good week, consistent week, which was something we asked for last week. So maybe we should ask for it again. Um, National Signing Day. The lesser, we're just going to go and say it has come and gone, so we will break that down a little bit, what Texas did or did not do, really, they did a little bit, Uh, and then we'll have a brief baseball preview for you, the baseball season kicks off three days from the time you're listening to this, so get excited for some baseball, and then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum, so Kyle, 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 last week, we went on a little bit of a rant, Try to figure out how Shaka gets this team up for big games, ranked teams, and then they kind of just don't show up for the follow-up game. That did not happen this last week. So maybe they're listeners, maybe they were inspired or challenged or convicted by what we said, but they came out and put the boots to Baylor with a 12-point win and then flat kicked West Virginia out of the conference with a 22-point win. So their first back-to-back wins since the start of conference play, which was the first week of January. What changed in the last week? And, and can Texas, like, can they replicate that that production for the next five weeks as conference play closes out? I mean, I think it's, I think it's easy to say what changed uh, is that Courtney Ramey seems to have arrived. That's uh, Big 12 newcomer. Of the week, Courtney Ramey had himself an absolute week and absolutely seems to be sustainable because he's he's hot, but keeps staying hot. 
Um, I mean, he's he's shooting about 57% since the TCU game, which I'll take any day of the week uh, for a young guy. He's, he's a bona fide creator um, next to, um, you know, Coleman and Roach. He can be kind of the third and I think even the second option in facilitating the offense. He gives a little size in that backcourt. Um, and he gives us another knockdown shooter. You know, Febrez obviously I think is our best shooter. Um, Roach will spot up and take some of those. He does take some off the dribble. He's much better as a spot-up shooter. Even Matt Coleman, pretty good spot-up shooter. Um, the one thing he does is he's starting now, and he kind of has absorbed a lot of the minutes from uh, from Eli, uh, who, you know, no shade to him. He's, he's, he's played well in some games. He can be a spark plug when he's on, but he's been a little bit streaky. Um, and so if you're replacing a guy who's hot and cold with a guy who's just hot, that's a pretty good recipe for success. I mean, they're, they're just – they're getting – contributions from the guys that they expect to um we're looking at you snoop again we talked about listeners good friend of the pod snoop roach our boy um really got it going here uh the past couple games um but you know then when you get maybe that next contribution of course uh jackson hayes has been you know has been solid all the way through just just been reliable for a freshman which is incredible um but now to see an emergence of another player um and to get into this form at this point of the season um this is exactly where you want to be in mid-February, looking out a couple weeks at the tournament in March. Yeah, and we talked about it, you know, maybe three weeks ago, that Courtney Ramey had not lived up to the billing. He, he was the, the top 50 guy, you know, the number 10 point guard in the country. Like, he was supposed to be the dude, and Jackson Hayes was kind of stealing all the shine. Now, Jackson Hayes will probably continue to steal the shine, but... He came in and, and became a knockdown shooter, like you said. You know, in the game against West Virginia, dude hit five three-pointers, five of six from beyond the mm-hmm. arc. So 15 of his 19 points came from beyond the arc. And that's what Texas seems to need is a guy who can consistently hit shots because when they play inside out, which is what they should be doing with the bigs that they have, you can't then kick it out to a guy who's going 30%. That's not how you win those games. And that's the speed that the Big 12 is playing at this season is inside out, your bigs will bang down low, and then they kick it out to a guy who can hit it. And that's that's the differentiator is when you're playing inside out and you can stay ahead because you know guys like Ramey are knocking down shots. Well, in that West Virginia game, it was one of the most dominant kind of performances in the paint that I've seen from Texas since Shaka's been here. 40 points in the paint uh, to 22 from West Virginia. They had eight dunks, which is fun. I love... Uh, fast break in Fiesta, Texas. I love uh, I love when Texas uh, gets out and runs and, and throws it down, and, and also when they win by twenty points. But uh, you know, a consecutive game where Snoop Roach had over fourteen points. He had twenty one against in the Baylor one, and then fourteen there. Um, you saw again like a, a point guard who gets four or five assists. If you're if you're not you know watching the college game closely, it doesn't necessarily sound like a lot. But when you look at whoever your main ball handler, really your two main ball handlers, and you look at their assist to turnover rate, that can pretty much pick a Texas win versus a loss. And so, um, like I said, Matt Col- Matt Coleman should get uh, get some shine, especially in that the first win, the Baylor win, where he had eighteen five assists. Um, you know he he just looked um, like he was running the offense. And if you get both Roach and, uh, and Coleman going at the same time, I think that's, uh, I think that's dangerous for people, whoever the next guy in the backcourt is for the Longhorns, whoever it happens to be that game. I think right now it is Ramey's moment to lose. But uh, if you're, if your guys at the top um, and again, Osikowski had 10 rebounds against West Virginia, if you're, 
your seasoned guys, your leaders that you know and you count on can get it going, and then you get one extra spark plug, that's where you're going to beat some teams that you probably shouldn't. Yeah, and I think just they've been able to to play consistently. I think that was the that was the question is can they put together two halves? Can they put together two good halves? Can they capitalize on when the other teams are playing poorly? And they finally did that in consecutive games. And and again, I think it goes down to uh, you know Eli Mitru Long again. No no shots at him. Dude was came in and has contributed, but. Sometimes he'll shoot you out of a game. He, he has a little J.R. Smith in him, I think is the best way to describe it, mm. where when dude is on, he's going he's gonna to win you a game. But when he's off, he's going to keep throwing it up and try to get himself into a rhythm. And sometimes you need that, but not when you're trying to play, again, inside-out conference basketball. That's just not going to work. And so I think now the question becomes, you know, can Texas build on this momentum? They're certainly starting to look like a, uh, like a tournament team are they a tournament team? Will they make the tournament, do you think? And what does that look like? Can they compete at a high enough level uh, to not get embarrassed on a national stage? Again, if you just extrapolate out a little bit, because I, I took the Iowa State you know, loss to be a good sign, and I think you wanted them to actually get the W, but they're 3-1 and one in the last four games, and, and again, could have beaten if a couple breaks went their way an Iowa State team that's very... Uh, very good and has a chance to make a deep conference run. So you look at that. Um, you look at Wednesday over Baylor, who was you know one of the hottest teams in the country. Um, you know, and not only because they have a guy named Flo Bamba. Oh, excuse me, Flo Thamba, um, doppelganger. But they're a team that's hot right now. And and you have to zoom out at their wins this season. They, their resume speaks for itself. As long as they don't implode, if they can just win the ones they should, maybe get one more that they shouldn't. Um, then I think for sure this is this is a tournament team. I mean, recently um, in the Ken Palm ratings, they they went to number twenty three, which if the season ended today, I think would be their highest rating in a few years. You know, that's I think it's like since twenty ten. Um, you know, which says something about where this program has has been the past couple seasons. Um, but you know, it's all about finishing at this point. They have it, it's a little bit of controlling their own destiny. If they go out and win games especially the, you know, don't lose games, win the ones that they should. I think this is for sure a tournament team. Yeah, I mean, they've got Kansas State, who currently leads the conference, coming, you know, the day that you're probably listening to this podcast. So uh, you could be listening from the future and think, wow, these guys are dumb. But (laughs) Kansas State is an infinitely winnable game, especially taking the one data point that Texas beat them by 30 to open conference play uh, 20, excuse me. I can't do math, but that's fine. Uh, 20 points to open conference play 30 would be a record. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and then Oklahoma state at home, which they should have beaten Oklahoma should. state on the road. That was a dumb game that I hated to watch. So theoretically they could rattle off four straight and put themselves right in the thick of the conference race, which is something that if you had told me two weeks ago, I would have told you you're an idiot. I would I would not have believed it that if you told me in the middle of February Texas has a shot to rattle off four straight and and kind of wedge themselves in the conference conversation. Yeah, and I mean they they still have to win a couple more games on the road. I mean they, so far their two road wins have been by a combined like forty points, you know, forty one points or something like that. It's it's pretty wild. Um, so when they win on the road, I guess they just mollywop folks. But that's West Virginia um, and Kansas State, which was not this Kansas State team that's number eighteen right now with eight eight game win streak. Um, you know, but. So getting another one of those against anyone shows a little more consistency and, and just a good sign for this team. Um, but I think if they can win 
again tomorrow when you listen to this. Hope everyone goes out. This is, you know, now the biggest game of the season um, at home uh, with Kansas State leading the actual Big 12 standings right now on that win streak. Um, that sends an enormous message. Like, just that momentum of that win should carry them through. Um, but it's no given. I mean, Kansas State is, is one of the hottest teams in the country. So it's it's going to be a really, really good one. You can get lower bowl tickets for $45. Just do it. If you are in Austin, just do it. Like, I am sorry. If I was in Austin, I'd find a way to go to this game. I'd keep my kid up past his bedtime or something to get him to go to this game. I think it's it's a game you have to go out and support. If you want to have high expectations for this Texas team, then this is the game, the types of games that you have to go to and you have to support and you have to be loud and you have to cheer or else, excuse me, you probably don't get to have a voice in this conversation. <laughs> and I'm sorry to do that, uh, but that's kind of how I feel about it. But let's move on before I get too ranty uh, to talk about National Signing Day. So just a few years ago, the first Wednesday in February was a national holiday for me. Oh yeah. And for guys like us and with the, you know, invention of the early signing period, kind of in the middle of bowl season, coaches love it. We'll talk a little bit more about this. Sometimes it bites players in the rear end, but uh that has come and gone with very little fanfare for the Texas Longhorns. The one guy we were really watching that Texas wanted to see what was going on was Javon Shepard, uh, who was a longtime Texas commit, but then, you know, had a probably silent flip to A&M at one point with all the A&M stuff that was on his Twitter. He went a couple of weeks before signing day, took an official visit to both Georgia and Alabama, but ultimately based on the hat science when the hats were on the table and the <laughs> nasty floppy looking A&M hat and the crispy pristine looking Texas hat, you knew that he was going to end up in burnt orange. So he's officially signed. He is another uh, cornerstone. I would say addition to this class on the offensive line. Uh, and then Texas officially, officially announced that Brew McCoy is now officially a Texas Longhorn. So let's, let's start Kyle with, the offensive line haul that Texas has with Shepard Johnson and Hookfin. This, especially coupled with what Texas did last year along the offensive line, as far as recruiting and red shirting goes, this seems like a group that I don't want to, I don't want to put too high of expectations, but this looks like a conference and potentially playoff style, um, offensive line group that they're putting together. Yeah. When you're grooming your NCAA 14, online dynasty and you look and you see you have seven freshmen of note and of merit uh, on your offensive line because again four red shirts and three coming in uh, that was a big topic of conversation just on the interwebs um, you know we didn't get enough linemen on either side of the ball and I think you know this certainly has calmed that down um, again having four red shirt linemen with a year in the program, having two guys. Cause I think, I think Shepard honestly would be a good candidate to, to red shirt again, um, or red shirt himself this year. And then kind of, you know, he didn't play a ton his, his senior year, um, but get back in shape, get, you know, a college program on him. And then, you know, the upside is absolutely there. Um, he's, He's, you know, he's going to be great for this program. Um, one of my my favorite moments was was Carrington tweeting out and just throwing in a casual hashtag rent free um, in there, yep. which 
just beautiful. Just just su- such a subtle jab. And if you read the comments of it, just set Aggie's absolute uh, a Twitter or a flutter um, in there. Like like kicking a, a literally. This is actually a great analogy. Just came to me. If you tweet anything remotely related to the Aggies, it's like kicking the top off an ant pile and just watching them scurry around uh, very angrily. <laughs> Um, but you know, honestly, uh, you know, A&M has enough shepherds. Uh, that's a sheep lover joke. Um, so glad he came to UT. Um, uh, he's going to fit in right here and, and hopefully bring some of his friends with him. But I, I think he's going to be a great pick, great pickup, I should say. Yeah. And one, if you follow him on any social media, um, he shares a lot of feelings about A&M that a lot of Texas fans currently have that we will not repeat because we are an everyone rated podcast but you know this class has i mean three of the top linemen in the state i mean top 40 guy in the state and then you look at last year's class that brought in four top 300 350 offensive linemen and 2020 is not looking any worse for where texas already has uh two of the top offensive linemen in the state uh committed so it it, it to me seems like they're getting their money's worth out of her hand. First of all, mm-hmm. the, that to me is probably been the most surprising thing is how much these offensive linemen love Herb hand. And I mean, I don't blame them. He's, he's cool for an old guy. Like he's got that old guy. Cool. That you just like, <laughs> I want to hang out with you. Yeah. Uh, he's a barbecue lover and he has incredible Twitter games. So yes. what more do I need for my offensive line coach gets big recruits, makes me laugh on Twitter and tweets some good old barbecue picks. Uh, so now that Brew McCoy is officially, officially, officially a Texas Longhorn because it came <laughs> from the actual uh, school athletic Twitter account. Uh, there are still some questions out there. Will he play in 2019? He's still waiting on the appeal process. USC could just grant him eligibility. They could just release him fully, and that would make him eligible if all of my research is correct. There are some good signs. Justin Fields, his appeal for to be immediately eligible was approved, so that's kind of a good sign for him. So I guess the question is really, if he plays in, in 2019, where does he fit in for Texas? And then if he doesn't fit and kind of is a freshman in 2020, where does he fit as this this group continues to grow and mature? Uh, you know, it's it's honestly a good question. The guy is good enough that he could fit on either side of the ball or both. Um, he is an electric receiver, but that's a position of, of – depth though we may see some of those playmakers get a little you know kind of positionless football and and take some snaps out of the backfield whatever whatever he has a chance to play um pretty immediately in in the in the passing game but personally i mean i just love the way he grades out as kind of that you know hybrid role of a of a linebacker who can who can you know cover maybe drop back a little in a safety role even though again safety is a position of of riches and embarrassment of riches for us Um, but that linebacking kind of position I do think even though there's some young talent that he was so good on the defensive side of the ball in high school it's easy to just say he was a receiver there's a reason he was an athlete it's not because you didn't know where to put him it's because you didn't know where you couldn't put him you know he just is good wherever you you put him I'd kind of like I said I'd kind of like to see a role where uh, I can't remember the the, uh, the Michigan guy now. Uh, it's, I'm blanking, but played linebacker, but also some uh, 
both sides of the ball. And I'm sorry, I'm blanking on that. But, um, but you know, a, a guy like that who has that, that level of talent and has a hybrid role, I mean, I could see Brew McCoy having that type of feel. But right now, until we hear different, he's, I think, coming in in the coach's mind as a receiver. So he's going to be competing with, with some other really elite talent. Yeah, and I think this is a high mark for him. But a guy who can play wide receiver but is big like a linebacker, Texas puts him in the slot and treats him like little Jordan Humphrey is, is what jumps out at me off the page. Now, granted he's little Jordan has, you know, three inches on him, but you know, coming out of high school, you know, brew has 10 pounds on little Jordan. So there, there's kind of a comparison there kind of not, but I think the biggest thing for me is like he, whenever he is eligible, just get him on the field. I don't care where you can put him, at deep snapper, and I'm sure he'd crush it because that's just the kind of athlete he is. Um, and he, he's a guy where you add him to whatever position group, and even the fact, even if he doesn't see the field, the rising tide is going to raise all the ships. Because if I'm a linebacker and I see Brew McCoy standing in the drill in line behind me, I'm going to work harder. If I'm a wide receiver and I see Brew McCoy running routes with our group, I'm going to work harder. And, and that's the that's the thing that people often underestimate about a good recruiting class is it's not just the impact that the guys see when the lights are on on Saturdays, but competition in a position room makes everybody better. And I think that's even if he doesn't play in 2019 and he kind of ends up, you know, having to defer to 2020, the guy by 24 seven is rated a top 200 all time recruit. Yeah. Which is just insane. So, Get him on the field wherever, put him in whatever position group needs the most help, yep. and let him do what he does. I think that's the that's that gives a little insight into anything, but that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said to uh, clarify my error earlier, I was thinking of Jabril Peppers, but you take uh, a hybrid of Jabril Peppers and Colt McCoy is going to be fine. Okay, his name is Brew. Listen, McCoy, okay, the the long-lost brother, um, you know, he's going to have a Shipley in the coaching room with Bob. I mean, he's perfectly suited to be a Longhorn legend. If you're my favorite kind of listener and you're listening to this as the episodes come out, that means we are three days away from Texas baseball season opening up. So Texas starts the season against the Louisiana Raysian Cajuns, the artist formerly known as Louisiana Lafayette for a three-game series over the weekend. Then they drop into a one-game against Rice on Tuesday, which will be after we record next, so we'll talk about that next week. But really, we want to take a moment and do a little bit of a baseball preview for you. So Texas is ranked number 20 in the preseason polls. They have a really tough schedule uh, to open up non-conference play. They have to take on LSU, who's number two, Stanford, who's number 12, and Arkansas, who is number 16 in their non-conference schedule. Just absolutely crazy. But Kyle, as as Texas looks to open up a season following a, I'm just going to say it, a season where they un- overperformed and, and kind of uh, did way more than they should have with what they had on the field. Uh, what does Texas look like and should expect out of the uh, out of this group? Well, I mean, it's going to be a little different than than last season. If you rode that kind of Cinderella ride and you got to know a lot of those players, they um, it's a good thing. But they had a lot of guys go into the draft, and, and you know that 
inherently means there's going to be some new faces. There are a lot of returning talent. Um, this team probably has a higher ceiling than last year without the safety kind of net of, of having a Clemens um, at this point, and especially one who got gypped for being you know, the national player of the year. He absolutely was the best player in baseball last year. Um, even with Pierce, again, Coach Pierce is, is the reigning coach of the year it's gonna it's gonna be an exercise it's gonna be a task for him to to navigate a tough schedule navigate you know some juco arms coming in and some really really talented uh young players with um you know with a cast of of talent and returning players but not necessarily just a completely plug and play um roster from last year now they're gonna have speed probably more than last year they should bring back a lot of the defense from last year they were elite defensively last year i think that was honestly won them a couple games that was the difference uh, a few times and then my hope for this season is that this is actually going to be a a better pitching staff because the pitching staff i'll just say it overachieved last year the talent level was not there to make a college world series run and that's not a knock on any of those guys they um played unbelievably well but you know if you told me before uh the year that you were looking at you know parker j robinson as as your your absolute um go-to guy and just some of those players and again that is absolutely not a knock um andy mcguire josh sawyer pitching meaningful, meaning, meaningful minutes. I mean, even at the beginning of the year, those guys weren't projected. Um, it wasn't until halfway through that they, they really got that going. Um, but you look at this staff and there's there's some talent on it. I mean, um, you look at Blair Henley and he's just really a potential uh, a potential to break out and to be um, to be something. You know, he has he has a potential to be um, a guy who is is pitching um in the majors next year you know you have uh Blair Elder who looked phenomenal in the in the alum excuse me Bryce Elder it looked phenomenal in the uh alumni game um you have my boy Bochi Ball Mateo Bocci um he uh you know is probably going to be you know just in that starting rotation to start it off um you know there's there's talent there's young arms Ty Madden Coy Cobb there's guys who could come in and instantly become fan favorites just big strong pitchers um this is going to be a test of Pierce's uh, man management, for lack of a better term, and how he rotates and how he uses them. Because they have, I don't know that they have one guy they hand the ball to and say go go nine innings, you know, every night. But they probably have eight guys they could hand the ball to and say go give me five really good innings. And so how he rotates how he gets guys in who's hot who's our closer may again be a fluid uh situation unless donnie diaz comes completely back from tommy john surgery and is fully healthy um i think the pitching is going to be wildly interesting and again if if he can figure out the exact right equation get that get that algebra uh exactly right then i think there's a chance for this to be to be a special group and and you know the the bats if they get going to be to be a special team that builds off of you know doesn't try to replicate how how great you know last year was but builds off of that as a baseline and goes even further and i think you hit on a couple things there the pitching i think especially early if texas Texas is going to know what they're made of by the time conference play is over again with that murderer's row of LSU, Stanford and Arkansas last year against those three teams, Texas was outscored by 41 runs, 88 to 47. So they're going to know what that pitching staff is made of 
by the time they get out of that, those three games. Now, I think that's going to be a much different story this year, but that's, that's a whole another conversation, which you just had by yourself. But I think the biggest question for me is what does the middle of that infield look like? I think with, with Hamilton, with the Hamilton injury, we talked about it a few weeks back uh, again, band line scooters. Um, Hamilton was a contributor, you know, previously before the 2018 season, he was more known for his defensive prowess, which still an incredible shortstop, uh, but his, his offense caught up with his defense in, in 2018, where he was easily one of the fastest base runners on the team. I mean, six triples, 31 stolen bases, knows when to take a ball. Like he's, he's a great guy to put a body on base and put him in scoring position. Uh, so that hurts on the offensive side. And then defensively, it, it causes you to shift your infield a little bit because yeah, you know, without Hamilton, okay, who's going to play shortstop. So probably look at a guy like Mason Hibbler, uh, who has to, again, slide over to shortstop, which puts probably a freshman coming in at second base. So like that, that shortstop second base is going to be an interesting look for this year. Cause that's, that's a big question. The middle of that infield is a little worrisome for me. And I mean, and that was probably honestly the, the area of strength for that Texas team. They turned, I don't have the stat on me, but I think it was the most uh, double plays in the big 12 and had like the highest infield fielding percentage. And, and again, also on the offensive side, when you have Hamilton um, and, and you have, um, you have Clemens right there. I mean, that's that. That's literally your your some of your leaders and some of your spark plugs. Um, replacing that is going to be going to be interesting. I think Ryan Reynolds is is really uh, poised to have a, a great year. I think Zubia, uh, if they let him just focus on swinging the bat um, and, and play that DH role, he did play first base, but you know, just kind of in that DH role, um, could be one of the most dangerous bats in the country. I don't know if you remember last year, Zubia had a forty one on game base streak, which is, which is truly wild. I remember every week just tracking that stat to make sure it was accurate. Um, but you know, just, just a guy who knows how to take walks, knows how to crush the ball and can poke it for, you know, base hits when he wants to, but, uh, he will look to when the ball is in, in, in the zone, knock it out of the park. So, um, you know, there are weapons and it is dangerous. It is, um, I don't want to say a better lineup, top to bottom from from you know batting average this year but uh, you did get such a boost from Clemens last year that it hid the fact that some of the you know six through nine um, could be a, a little streakier five through nine really could be a little streaky um, behind him so I think again this maybe a higher floor or excuse me maybe a higher ceiling and probably a lower floor but you know that could very quickly raise and could very quickly with, with the fantastic coaching staff that Pierce has um, in on the backs of those, those pitchers that could be deadly could make this, you know, a Texas team that people are afraid to play. Yeah. So like we said, Texas starts opens its season Friday, 6 30 PM against the Louisiana Eurasian Cajuns. I think it's only on the radio it's not even on longhorn network unfortunately which would be fun to check out well the, here here it is gerald the uh, the quick prop bet what which of texas's 43 uh ridiculously beautiful uh uniforms do you think they'll they'll go for do, do, you, do you have a do you have a pick do you want me to list them out for you oh <laughs> the... uh, man i man that's tough that's really <laughs> I, I think i'd have to know what louisiana's rocking with on that's uh, a good point that's a good on point. A, on a night game on Friday to open the season, mm-hmm. I bet they go all blacks, 
which probably mm. puts Texas in the pinstripes. Ah, uh, okay, that's good. That's good. I I just can't wait to see the uh, the retro creams they have, um, and that script Texas. I mean, there's. Oh, sorry to keep harking on these uniforms, but man, they came out with another one this week. They just keep teasing me. Side note: somebody put out a Twitter poll uh, with uh, which is the best Texas uniform. And the fact that the script Texas was not leading means that you guys don't know what's good for you uh, other than listening (laughs) to this podcast. So a little bit of news this week. The long gestating transfer finally hit Shane Bouchelle announced via Twitter that he would be taking his talents to SMU after graduating. He will have two years of eligibility to suit up for the Mustangs. You may remember Shane Bouchelle. If you have uh, trouble remembering this far back, three years ago, Shane Bouchelle was a freshman phenom, set Texas school records, and with basically a year and a half of production, put himself in the top 10 of the most productive quarterbacks at the University of Texas. So, Kyle, we've talked a lot about the the depth in a quarterback room. Um, You know, Casey Thompson still around, Rashawn Johnson is going to be number three on the depth chart with this gone. Uh, but really, like, what is Shane Bouchelle's legacy uh, at the University of Texas? I mean, it's easy to look really tangibly and, and, and say, you know, he won that Notre Dame double overtime, you know, game and, and one of the most fun Texas wins in what seems like forever. Rest of that season aside, you know, the first feeling that we might be back, you know, just to win again and to, to feel that. And he did that. I mean, the. The, the combination he had with Foreman in the play action he got out of that and the deep ball he threw before any injuries kind of robbed him of a little bit of his, his uh, end product of his deep balls was one of the prettiest passes. You know, that deep ball from Bouchelle was a thing of beauty. I mean, you, you and I sat on this podcast this year and, and we've happily eaten crow, but we said we were team Bouch. That was, that was the guy we were behind. And I can't speak for you, but I will speak for myself and say I'm still team Bush and I will be tuning in where they don't overlap and watching SMU games this year to cheer him on. Um, in, in the words of T.O., um, those are both my quarterback. Um, you know, he's he's a graduate. He graduated from UT, so he's a Longhorn legend. He did it. He came to UT. He graduated. He contributed very, very meaningfully on the field, and so I think everyone should should support him, should cheer him on, should, should wish all the best for him. I'm probably going to be overstating this but I may not be without Shane Bouchelle staying engaged and staying bought in even when he got beat out Texas is not a 10-win team he's not because him coming in not once but twice when called upon and being able to he didn't do anything flashy he didn't do anything incredible but he, he did what he had to do to keep Texas ahead and they managed to win both of those games when their starting quarterback went out and you don't see that. That is a that is a lost art. That's a lost status. That's a lost feeling among guys. Nobody wants to come and be a dialed in backup. When you get beat out, a lot of guys just zone out. And he did not. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, like he had one of the most productive seasons in school history as a freshman. Like people want to focus on the struggles over the, you know, two seasons ago when the offensive line was held together by bubblegum and prayers or this past year getting beat out by Sam Ellinger. But as a freshman, he completed 60% of his passes and passed for 2,900 yards Yep, on 21 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. That is an incredible year. 
Oh yeah, I mean it's it's an incredible career. Honestly, I mean it's it's uh, just those numbers. He had a great you know great UT career. If he was a senior and stayed, and that was his first year to see the field, he'd say, "Wow, what a, what a year that guy had." Um, either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. But um, two things, you know, I, I don't know if. Uh, how Cowboys fans will receive this. And I, I know from some of our Twitter mentions, we have many Cowboys fans who listen to the pod, but uh, you know, there was a, a very famous backup who was, you know, incredibly bought in, understood the game, you know, very, very well stayed an uplifter of the team from the backup spot and ended up becoming the head coach So Shane Bouchelle, um following in, you know, his, he's stated he wants to become a coach after his playing career may just be the next Jason Garrett. Who knows? Um, you know, I I would love to see him back at Texas as some sort of grad assistant. I would love to see that, you know, or some sort of offensive quality control. Uh, I mean, Tom Herman said it after uh, after the first time Shane came in, he would do anything for that young man. And, and that doesn't sound that didn't seem like hyperbole at the moment. So I would love to see him uh, back. So a little bit of trivia that you wanted to bring to the show. I, I followed your instructions. I did not look this up. So so what what's the what's the trivia you got for me? All right, so Gerald, um, I'm glad you didn't look it up. I appreciate your honesty. My fiance loves a good spoiler. You know, she'll just go straight forward. It's it's terrible. Um, Gerald, do you know who the the SMU Mustangs, by the way, have an incredible, wa- incredibly watchable uh, schedule next year? Um, I, I encourage everyone to to look it up. There's just some games that I I, I like. I said wasn't in jest. We'll watch this. But do you know who they play in Week Five next year? Is it Texas A&M? It's not. No, it's, ah, it's not. I would love for it to be AM. That would have been fantastic. It's <laughs> a different type of reunion. In week five, they play the the fighting Charlie Strongs. They uh he will be reunited in a way across the field from his old coach when the uh the USF uh not Longhorns, but Longhorn hand symbols come to uh come to SMU to to take on the new look Bouchelle. So um, just a fantastic, you know, the, the, the college football script writers had a, uh, had a good one when they played this one out as a podcast that really goes long for tooting its own horn. I called it. I'm just going to say it called it when he gra- when we, when it looked like he was going to grad transfer, Texas grad transfers just seemed to end up at SMU and that's okay. Uh, so quickly softball number 16 in the nation, uh, they opened up their season this weekend with a uh, 4-0 run, which is just incredible. Wins over Boston College, Boise, and Northwestern State, which is just an incredible uh, way to start a season that probably looks to be pretty special for uh, for the ladies. In those four games, the, the, the part of this that is remarkable, they outscored their opponents 32-3. to they had more extra base hits with 11 than they allowed hits in four games. That's twice against Boston College and once against the other two. Um, two one-hit shutouts. Like, I, I kind of I, – I made it my bang the drum when the announcement was was, was made. When Mike White was, was hired from Oregon, you know, in the doldrums of, of last year, this is his first weekend, and, and the team looked different. I mean, different in the way that they looked the same, that – they used to be. They looked like, you know, the the era of dominance that I know you're very familiar with. But I can just say I am excited for the White Mike era. Um, I think uh, Texas softball is going to be fantastic and also one of the most underrated characters on the wire. 
I don't I don't know what to do with that. So uh, moving on, tennis, the pair of sixes, uh, men's tennis and women's tennis, both ranked six nationally. The men for their second season of the year, because again, that tennis is weird. Uh, they moved on bettering uh, their undefeated record to nine wins after beating um, North Carolina at that time, then Tulsa and Arkansas in con- consecutive uh, tournaments against those teams or matchups against those teams, I guess. Uh, and then the women swept Northwestern before falling to number one Stanford 4-3 in the quarterfinals of the Intercollegiate Tennis Association National Team Indoor Championships. Kyle, so many names that I did not want to mispronounce in this uh, tennis read, but it's going to be a good season. Like the second season of the year for tennis already shaping up to be a uh, pretty solid, uh, solid run. Yeah, the uh, the the indoors went, went well for both teams. Um, I, I think... Um, you know, I, I think that the men are a little bit more surprising. The women have been one of the top teams in the country all year. The men just keep winning and keep surging up the board. So, you know, who knows? Obviously, losing to Stanford, who's number one, is, is you know, tough, and we're tired of doing that. Um, but, uh, you know, both of these teams are still right in the thick of, uh, of postseason glory uh, potential. So that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of collegiate athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, I'm actually going to do one and a half as I want to do because I don't have much to say about one, but I do want to say it because I think it's worth saying. And so I'll bang the drum once um, brought to us by Dr. Pepper um, for uh, Coach Craig Nivar uh, getting promoted to the co-DC role. Um, Just a a bit of uh, inside baseball. Coach Nivar actually coached my brother when he was at Texas State with Coach Herman. And uh, so I have lots of stories, but one of my favorites was uh, my brother told me that Craig used to um, drink a case of Dr. Peppers and run 10 miles every day. And he was just the most jacked up human, probably again, because of the case of Dr. Peppers, but just like could absolutely light a room up from, from people falling asleep during film to, you know, WWE promo. So congrats to Craig Nivar, a guy who quietly, unassumingly just did his job and did it unbelievably well, both on the recruiting trail um, and coaching up um, some D-backs and, and just, you know, seems to be uh, one of the good guys. So congrats to him. Um, and then I will bang the drum uh, presented by Joe Ruiz uh, for um, just a fun little thing that happened. You know, the the AAF, um, I believe that's the Alliance of American Football, which is a cool thing. It's kind of a uh, D-League equivalent for the, the NFL, um, and they're still hammering out all those partnerships. There is a San Antonio team, so any of our Texas folks in San Antonio, go check them out. Um, they they actually opened with a couple Longhorns on the on the roster. The, the Orlando Apollos, in fact, had a familiar face. We talked about SMU transfers. Um, Super Bowl uh, ring recipient, that's all describe him Garrett Gilbert uh, started on the Orlando team that won 40 to 6 over the Atlanta Legends and it was uh, notable for a few reasons of of um First and foremost is that Steve Spurrier is his coach, and Spurrier, being the wild, mad, idiot genius that he is, decided to run because it was the first game of the new league, and that's Steve Spurrier, the vaunted Philly special. So Garrett Gilbert, uh, in addition to, I believe, throwing two or at least one, um, also caught a touchdown in his opening Alliance of American Football League game. So uh, hook him, Garrett. (laughs) 
I will never think of Steve Spurrier and not think Click Clack. If you don't know what I'm talking about, when Under Armour first rolled out their collegiate <laughs> partnerships, Steve Spurrier was the coach at South Carolina. And just Google Steve Spurrier Click Clack, and you will also enjoy my favorite inside joke of all time. Uh, not I just... <laughs> told you that guy could fly. Uh, so we've, uh, it's not just Garrett Gilbert on the AAF. Also, uh, fan favorite question mark, Nikki Rose kicking for the San Antonio commanders. So that'll be interesting to watch. I believe Duke Thomas also on that roster. So I am banging the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. Um, we have, we have talked about our love for, Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Conte. We have talked about his ability to get the boosters engaged, you know, getting Texas to a point where they're getting a brand new basketball arena without any sort of uh, taxation going on where it's, you know, boosters and partnerships, which we all love. We talk about his fashion sense, the burnt orange suits, getting McConaughey in a burnt orange three-piece on the baseline, coaching the team as the minister of culture. But this week, Chris Del Conte outdid himself. It's the only way I can uh, I can describe it. So, so Del Conte uh, was doing some media work this week, and somebody asked him about the A&M rivalry. And this is what he said, and I quote... That last game in College Station. Who won that one? We did. They got to live with that. Hmm. I put this out on Twitter because it warms those deep dark corners of my heart that were uh, that have been been uh, that have been fallow for the last few years. Hmm. And as someone who has gone on this podcast and said that A and M can hold the forever L as long hmm. as the Earth still has a molten core. Chris Del Conte and I are on the same page. They can hold that L for all eternity. Hold that L because it's going to keep you warm in third place in the SEC West. Hold that L because it's going to keep you warm below (laughs) Texas in the recruiting rankings. Hold that L because there's nothing else to hold. Hold that L simply because Case McCoy is your father. He signed your birth certificate. (laughs) Hold that L. Chris Del Conte, thank you for saying what we're all thinking, what we all believe deep down in our deep downs. Hold that L. Uh, That was moving. I'm going to isolate that clip and make it, not my ringtone, it's too long, but something. Maybe my wake-up alarm. That... Between CDC and you, I now, for the first time in my life, understand the expression of warming the very cockles of one's heart. That, uh, that, I'm saluting you right now. I'm like hand over heart, pledge of allegiance in you right now, Joe. That was, that was sumptuous. Thank you for that. You know, I try to, I try to keep it, keep it even in some of these, but you know, the petty has to come out. I, I have to play the straight man a lot on this podcast. People <laughs> don't know that uh, my native tongue is petty. So it has to come out from time to time. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. If you want to get your tweets read on the show, use the hashtag replies of Texas. You can always shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em.